what a blessing these last three weeks have been in the preaching of God's Word. And I, if you're like me, it's just been amazing to sit under such gifted teaching, but more importantly, the Word of the Lord and um, this challenge of being generous. Thanks, Dan. Um, we're going to be carrying on our generosity series, um, which is part four, which is entitled A Generous People. <clears throat> So last week, we heard one of the most important truths of the series, which is stewardship. I want to remind everybody in this room this morning and those watching online, if everything belongs to God, then we are merely managers of it for a time. How we manage what God has entrusted to us affects our eternal reward. And so, although we are saved and born-again believers in Jesus Christ, God entrusts things to us which He will hold us to account for. And today, I want to tackle what it means to be a generous people. In other words, I want to ask the question this morning, or answer it as well, is how can we be faithful obedient stewards of God's cash. And I want to just make that point very strongly this morning. The money that we have is God's. It's liberating to think like that. It makes us feel that it's not ours, which means we don't have to hold on to it, and it's not our job to keep it. It's God's. It came into our lives by the hand of God. God's hand is the one that continues to promise to never leave us nor forsake us with this cash. It's all His, and we get to use it for a period of time for His glory. And I want us to look at today the question, what does God say about how we are to manage His money? And my opening point this morning is, why should we take giving, financial giving, and the way we steward God's money seriously. Why should we take it seriously? Well, I want to remind us this morning that our relationship to money has the potential to be the greatest threat to our spiritual progress. Do you know what the greatest competitor in your life to trust in God is? It's money. Because money offers you, in a false way, the same things that God does. Money offers us security, right? Money offers us status, and money offers us significance. And friends, as believers in Christ, we are to find all those three things in God. And this morning, part of our struggle around money, in essence, is it gives us security. That's a very basic human need, and I don't want anyone to feel guilty about that this morning. I think I heard in a sermon this last week, it was Freud who said one of the basic needs of mankind is security. And we are designed to realize that we cannot secure our own lives, and so we look for things around us to do it. But in actual fact, we're meant to find that in God. It was always meant to be that way. God was the one who secures our lives. He gives it, He sustains it, and He calls it to Himself. And our struggle is either we don't want to let go of money because it's our security, or we feel insecure and worry about it because we don't have enough. 
And I want to just remind you and me this morning, church, the thing that God wants to do in your life is to get you to trust Him, not your bank balance. What God is interested in, and He does it through various trials, He does it through various tribulations, he, it, in these seasons of leanness, what He is wanting you is to live by His promises, not by your bank balance. <laughs> and we're going to look at that a bit more in a moment. But also, the wonderful thing of why we should take money seriously is it's coming to your life and mine by the hand of God. Do you realize that? God, honest money, has given you honest money. There's a way of getting unrighteous wealth. And I want to say Proverbs has been full of men and women who try and get unrighteous wealth. Unfortunately, it ends badly. But honest money, you don't have to feel guilty about your paycheck. Is this from God? It's part of Him loving you. Did you know that? And today, we must have a positive attitude towards money because money is not a curse. It's a blessing. It's from the Lord. Ah, but that does mean, because it's God's, we take it seriously because stewarding God's money forms an integral part in His plan and purpose for your life. It is as big as this. Do you know that God's money given to you is part of why you are here, why you are part of the kingdom. He wants you to steward that cash as much as prayer, as much as small group, as much as everything else, your time. He is as interested and it is as connected. Money in your life is as connected to God's kingdom purpose as everything else. And Michael Eaton, who is a great mentor in the faith to me, he said this, he said, God will provide what you need to fulfill the calling he has for you. He will do it. God is not cruel and he's not unfaithful. If he calls you to live in a certain suburb, to minister in a certain church, to be in a certain situation of life, to be a doctor, to be a, an accountant, to get the education you need, friends, God will provide what you need to do for him in this life. And he will also provide in such a way that you will be able to participate according to the grace given you in this area of being generous with your finances so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. It is as intricately connected to your life as all the other things we make much of. It's your money, well, his money that he's given to you. And I want to just let you into something here this morning. Some of you might resonate already. And some of you might be looking in going, this is a scary topic for me because this touches my security. This touches the, the very heart of what I build my life around and what I stress about. I recognize that this morning, but I want to put before you as a testimony in my own life and in the lives of many saints that this opportunity to steward God's cash for His kingdom is an invitation into the greatest blessing you can experience in your life. Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 33 to 35, Paul quotes Jesus, says, It is more blessed, it is happier to give than to receive. You know, I was so upset a couple of years ago. Angelina Jolie said she gives a third of what she earns away because life's better, life's happier. I'm like, You stole that from Jesus. The world is recognizing that the benefits, 
for our own souls in being generous. It is better to give. It's good to receive, but it's better to give. It's happier. And friends, the, the whole attitude and, and atmosphere around cash in Jesus' mind is not one of, of drudgery and condemnation and, and sort of, oh, yuck, it's so material. No, no, friends, it is this wonderful opportunity to enter into blessedness that God has given us the privilege of having. And more than that, he says in his Sermon on the Mount, which is specifically to disciples, it's not talking to a general crowd. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says this. He commands. He says, give disciples, oh, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. For the measure you use it will be measured back to you. This is an invitation, the area of our finances, to experience the kingdom of God at work in our lives. And there's an invitation here this morning. Is how far do you want to go in experiencing God's kingdom work in your life? It will be linked to how willing you are to trust Him. That He is the one who secures your life. And that you are merely stewarding for a period of time something that he owns. And this is the wonderful thing. Marion, at the 10.30, she reminds me of this verse. She says, don't forget this verse. What is it? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 to 11. It says, He, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for what? For sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. You, listen to this, you will be enriched in every way, in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Friends, this invitation to open your hand and to steward what God has given you, it is an opportunity to experience blessing. And what we're going to see in the life of Abraham shortly is this generosity towards God being a response to the generosity he's received enabled him to experience one of the most wonderful journeys of faith. Abraham didn't lose out on anything. He gained. And so my second point today is, does Jesus command us to give? Yes, he does. So at the basic level, he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says, give, and it will be given to you. And I want you to realize that this morning, it is a part of us being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that we are commanded to steward this money and to be open-handed with what we have. Jesus said, Matthew 28, we are to teach everyone to obey all that he has commanded us. And so my third point today is, does the Bible say how much we should give? Now, I'm sure we are all happy with the command, hopefully, that Jesus says we give. But what does that look like? What does that mean for you and me? And this morning, I want to say this requires very careful attention because essentially what we're going to touch on is should the Christian give a tenth of all that they earn, which is called the tithe, to the church? Should the Christian give a tenth of what they earn whether it be every month or weekly or annually, however much, whatever income comes in, should they give a tenth to the church? Well, let's have a look at it this morning. And I need you to put your thinking hats on, all right? Here goes. The very first time we see the tithe or a tenth being given 
is in Abraham. It comes through in Genesis chapter 14, and Abraham goes into a great battle. There's a tribal war happening, and he has to deliver his nephew Lot. And at the end of this battle, he's exhausted, he's weary, and this high priest, Melchizedek, who is priest of God, comes and brings wine and bread to sustain Abraham. And he prays a blessing over Abraham. And Abraham voluntarily, no law, no instruction, no command. He voluntarily, in response to this blessing received by God, he gives a tenth of all he owns. He did it because he wanted to, not because he had to. I stole that from Michael Eaton, by the way. There was no law. And do you know, if you read the story of, of Abraham, do you know that he struggled with stress around finance? Did you know that? If you read his story, he was anxious about finance. There was a famine, if you remember, in Canaan, and they had to go all the way down to Egypt. And then a great husband, he says, this is my sister Sarah. It was a half-truth. And Pharaoh takes Sarah in and starts to bless Abraham with all of these dishonest gifts. And then when he goes back, do you remember to the promised land, the flocks get too big. Lot and Abraham's flocks, they're not enough land. And so Abraham graciously says to Lot, you choose which land you want. And Lot chooses the best land, in inverted commas, around Sodom. And Abraham loses out financially. He loses out on the riches he could have had if he had chosen, I think it's that land around Sodom. I can't remember what it's called. The valley of something. Furthermore, because of Lot's decision to associate with Sodom, he gets pulled into trouble because there's an attack on Sodom. Lot gets taken. All the possessions get taken with him. And he's now in physical danger. Abraham is under threat. His, his own family, his men, his own stuff is in danger. And he, he, he wades into the melee and he wins a great victory. But at the risk of personal cost. And then furthermore, when, kings of, when the king of Sodom comes along to Abraham and he says, Abraham, you can have all the booty. Abraham's learned his lesson. He's not going to accept dishonest wealth. The king of Sodom is a disreputable man, as Eaton says. He doesn't want to touch money that comes from wickedness. He loses out financially again. And so for Abraham, this giving is not under a command, and it's in a situation of distress. He is handing over a tenth to God out of faith, and gratitude to this wonderful blessing that God has bestowed on him through Melchizedek. And it was only 430 years later, when the law of Moses was given on Mount Sinai, that tithing became obligatory, became mandatory, legalized. And it was done in order that a tribe in Israel called Levi could be sustained. If you remember, there was the allotment of, of Israel, and the tribe of Levi didn't get land because the Lord was to be their inheritance. And to sustain the temple worship and to sustain all of the, the various um, systems of the Mosaic law, they served full time. And you had to bring the tithe into the storehouse, which was the temple, in order to support the Levites nationally. It was linked to the Mosaic system. And the last time tithing is ever spoken about 
is when Jesus upholds tithing under the law in Matthew 23, verse 23. Remember Jesus said, You tithe Pharisees, mint and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law of justice and mercy. You should have not forgotten those things whilst still tithing, in other words, don't be, without neglecting the former. But friends, that was under the law. Christ was still under the law at that stage because something seismic happened on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross and that temple curtain tore from top to bottom. The second that that happened, it was the finishing of the law. You could not get a clearer statement of this temple curtain, which is unpacked so beautifully in Hebrews, of being how close you can possibly get under the Mosaic law. The, the blood of goats and bulls could only get you to in front of the curtain. And one man, once a year, on one day, for one moment, the Day of Atonement, could enter into the naked presence of God. It could only do that for the, sister, for the nation of Israel. But on that day, when Christ said, Tetelestai, paid in full, it is finished. That temple curtain tore from top to bottom. The perfect sacrifice was offered. The way was made open for us to come and have fellowship with God. And friends, it is the seismic moments of the crossing over of the old covenant of the law being done away with because under Christ we receive a better covenant because we now have the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. We now have the wonder of not having a physical building to go to to worship God and His presence. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We now carry the glorious presence of this God. We have precious and great promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. We have received an altogether greater covenant that makes us sons and daughters of the living God, citizens of heaven with an inheritance that's going to last forever. This is the glory of what has happened to us, church, is when Jesus said, it is finished, he fulfilled the law, and then he delivered us from it. Because I want to point out this morning, the law is too low for us. We are not under the law. We have been delivered from the law. It says in Romans 7 verse 6, this is not me speaking, this is Paul, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. Listen to this. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Galatians 2 verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Friends, if you want to live for God by keeping the law, I answer you, it is too low for you. The Ten Commandments don't tell you to forgive your enemies. They don't tell you to pray. They don't tell you to love anybody. They don't even tell you to give. Friends, if you are going to live for God, the law is too low for you. The power of the Spirit inside of you enables you to go way beyond what was a written code on stone. We now have written on our hearts. We now have the presence of God in us, not outside of us. Everything that has been given to us orientates us to be able to live a much higher life of godliness than ever before. Christ abolished the law of commandments, Ephesians 2.15. We are not under law, but under grace, Romans 6.15. And let me tell you this morning, this is what I want to wrap our hearts around, is what we receive by grace vastly exceeds what the law was ever able to give. I will say it again. 
what we receive by grace vastly exceeds what the law was ever able to give. And that is why after that temple curtain being torn, not once is tithing ever mentioned again in the New Testament. It is abolished. The legal code is abolished. And the proof of this, praise God, the proof of God not taking us back to the law in Christ is what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Do you know what Pentecost is a celebration of? The giving of the law. 50 days after Passover in Egypt was Mount Sinai, and they received the Ten Commandments, and the Jews every single year celebrated Pentecost, which is Pentecost 50 days after Passover. What gets poured out in Acts chapter 2 upon God's people? Is it the law? No, my friends, what gets poured out there? The Spirit, as a Jewish person there, the rest of the nation is celebrating this giving of the law. But God's people, those in Christ, are praying in this room. And this, this room is filled with the power of the Spirit. And this flame, these tongues of flames come on their head. They receive such power to live this life for God. And my friends, they are never the same again. And what we see, this is what I want us to see this morning. What we see is that the financial giving of God's people moves forward radically, not less, under the leadership of the Spirit. I'll say it again. We see the financial giving of God's people moving forward radically, not less, under the leadership of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43 to 45, what were the, the church members, the Christians, doing for each other? The height and peak of the Holy Spirit, they were selling their homes. They were selling... They're bringing their money, their salaries, so that there would be no lack in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a poor place. There were many people that were needy. The Spirit so stirred the hearts of God's people that they went way more than 10%. They went way more than the law. No, everything they had was God's, and the leadership of the Spirit had dibs on every aspect of their life. Their time, their money, their talents, their work, their relationships. Everything was under now the leadership of the immediate witness of the Spirit, and that immediate witness moved God's people forward, not backwards. And this is the principle. Everything, praise God, everything moves forward under the new covenant, not backwards. Grace is altogether greater. And the response of our hearts to this grace must not be looking for ways to get out of the law. And it's 10%. No, my friends, hear me this morning. We must be looking for ways to exceed it. In every way. And the reason why I'm taking this long view this morning is this is the danger of tithing as a legal code, as a compulsion upon you this morning. Is either you'll want to get out of it, or when you've given it, you go, well, that's my job done. 90% mine. I'm not open to the Lord to lead me in any other way in what he might tell me to do with it. See, the summary this morning, I, 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 this was for me what I need you to take home, is we are not the children of Moses. We are the children of Abraham. We are not the children of Moses. We are the children of Abraham. Moses isn't our model for giving. Abraham is. 
And Romans chapter 4 says, if you have faith in Christ, you, are, you have Abraham as your father in the faith. And Abraham is our model of faith. And Abraham gave a tithe of all he had because he wanted to, not because he had to. And that's what we're starting to get is the heart of new covenant giving. It's not compulsion. It's because of a response that I have in my heart to what God has done for me. And I want to point out to you, Abraham did not stop. He started at 10%. But what did he offer at the very end of his life? He offered up his own son, Isaac. Can you see what the life of faith does? You start where the law does. If you want to put it in inverted commas, you can start with 10% or whatever you want. To, you, know, you, you, you come in and you say, Lord, I want to give. Yes, I know this is right. I want to give to you out of the goodness and, and, and free will of my heart. I want to honor you and bless you with, by putting my trust in you and gratitude in, in what you've done for me. But if you look at Abraham, he didn't stop at 10%. He would have been happy at 10%. Oh, well, I've done my bit. Well, just get on with life and enjoy what's the rest and never be open to the move of the Spirit in my heart. But Abraham doesn't stop there. Do you know where we get Jehovah Jireh from? We love to quote it. The name of God linked to provider, Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. It was when his son, Abraham's son, and him were walking up to the altar where Abraham was going to offer up the sacrifice, and the boy suddenly realized there's no goat, there's no sheep. And he turns to his dad and he says, where's the sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide. And as he lifts up that knife, God speaks, he passes the test and he says, Abraham, stop. And there's a ram caught in the bush. But the point is this, is Abraham's journey of faith started off with 10% of my possessions, but it ended with this mindset that even my son is God's, my most precious possession, the very, the very embodiment of God's promises to my life is under the leadership of God. And if God even tells me to give that, I'll give it. And friends, that's how we are meant to be. Do you notice that this happens at the end of Abraham's life? What has happened in Abraham is over the years he has learned his security is not in his wealth. His security is in the promises of God. And Abraham, it says, he knew that if, he, if God took Isaac, he could raise him from the dead. He knew this God kept his word. And the reason why he could open his hand to this request early in the morning, it says, as soon as God spoke to Abraham, Abraham got up early in the morning. He was on track to be obedient to God. And friends, that's what faith in, like Abraham is like. It grows in our ability to trust God, to yield every aspect of our life to the leadership of the Spirit and to say to him, it is yours. Not under compulsion, not under guilt, but under gratitude and faith in who God says he is. Michael Eaton puts it like this, should the Christian pay a tithe? He said, no, you're not under the law. But as children of Abraham, we should want to. We should want to. Our heart response is, Look at what God has done for us. Now, his giving, Abraham, remember Abraham is our model, was in response to receiving a blessing. It was in response to this encounter with this high priest, Melchizedek. And friends, our giving is response to this encounter with our Melchizedek. His name is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 says, 
this high priest is in the order of Melchizedek. Our experience of giving is from our heart, not under compulsion, but a heart that is voluntary, saying to God, God, you have blessed me in abundance with Jesus and all that you have given me. You've been so extravagant. You haven't even withheld your only son. Oh, how can I not respond in like-heartedness, in like-mindedness to this extravagant gift? Can I remind you this morning, Christians, how generous God has been to you in Christ. This Jesus, he left heaven, emptied himself of glory, lived a life you were meant to live but failed miserably to do so, died a death you were condemned to die. He rose again so that you could have assurance of eternal life. He did it all because he wanted to, not because he had to. He forgave all your sins and canceled all your debt, adopted you as his own, put his spirit to dwell within you. He has given you precious and very great promises and inheritance in glory. Friends, what motivated Abraham to give must motivate us a heart of gratitude and faith in the living God. And like Abraham, there are seasons when even in distress, we say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. That's the right response. Is a response of faith and gratitude to the God who's given abundantly. We don't give because we have to. We give because we want to. And can I just gently nudge you this morning as I had to nudge myself in preparing this sermon. If you don't want to give... The problem is not you feeling guilty about that. The problem is you haven't seen what Christ has done for you. The solution to helping your heart unwrap and detach, detach itself from the security and pleasure and comfort of cash is to wrap your heart around the glorious assurance of your salvation that you've received in Jesus Christ. The way that you speak to a stingy heart like my own is you start to preach what is received abundantly, above and beyond, by grace, what I did not deserve, what we begin to see by faith, what we receive by the grace of the Spirit. Oh, it melts our hearts, and that's where you have to start this morning, is you are responding to what God has done for you extravagantly. And our response is not one of law. We don't give because we have to do it. God forbid. We give because we want to. Jesus said, freely you have received. Now freely, give. Friends, we are not sons of Moses. We are sons of Abraham. And Abraham calls us to give with a heart of faith and gratitude. Moses tells us to give under compulsion. The two are vastly different. The two motivations and the two ways of processing are vastly different. One is by obligation with no faith and with the sense of I've done my due. The other is my whole life living on the promises of God and God is welcome to any of it. We are not restricted. That's the word. We are not restricted to giving 10% of what we receive from God. We are to seek to go beyond it under the leadership of the Spirit in every area of our life, including the money God gives us. Now, I hope you're still with me because I'm going to end briefly with a few more points. 
understanding that this motivation to give must go beyond the law. It's not compulsion. It's a desire, a willingness in our hearts. Is who should we give to? Does the scriptures help us channel God's cash into the areas that are of concern to him? And the first is, we know in scripture that the basic commandment is to the area where you are in fellowship and receive God's word. The place where you are fed spiritually, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, Paul says, let the elders who rule, remember elders rule in a local church, you're part of a local church, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so one area which is very clear in about how you choose to give to the Lord is where you receive regular ministry. That's the most common. That's the area where you start with is to your local church. But secondly, there are other calls to give for kingdom initiatives. We see in Scripture that there's opportunities that arise for famine relief in Jerusalem, like in 1 Corinthians 16, or planting of churches, or supporting of ministries in the New Testament, like Philippians sending a financial gift to Paul via Epaphroditus, missions. There are these opportunities which come up in your life, and you get an opportunity to serve a much bigger spectrum than just the local church. And we ought to be open to those as well. We also to support the widows and the orphans and other expressions of the gospel in societies. Acts chapter 6 and James 1 verse 27 says, is we are open-handed to how God wants to show compassion to the society around us. So there's just a couple that have been thrown out. But then, my fourth and final point. How do we give? How does God ask us to give? And these are some general principles. I want you, I didn't put them, these are general, all right? So what I want you to do is either you can get my notes after the service or take out a pen and pencil, and this is your homework for the week. I want you to take a moment just as you would in choosing your job, praying about who you should marry, or asking the Lord's guidance on what to do next. And I want you to take an opportunity this week to be open to the Lord in a new way with what he's given you. And what we see in principles of giving is first and foremost that it is to be disciplined. It's regular giving. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, it says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul was getting a collection together for the Jerusalem church, and this is his advice. He says, if this you want to give, this is how you do it. Notice it's the first day of the week, not the last. We know what it's like to live like that, right? Where we spend whatever we've got first, and then whatever's left on the last day, which is obviously not anything, we give, right? And it's this principle of first fruits. And so the way that you start, and I want to say this has been a massive blessing for Marina and I, is you sit down and you go, right, what are we going to commit to give? And we do that first. And we have made our decisions around that, around the house we can afford, around the cars we can afford, around the clothes we can buy, around the food that we eat. Everything is first and foremost structured around the first day of the week. So helpful. And these were weekly wages. The Corinthians were paid week by week. And so as the income comes in regularly, so put some aside regularly as unto the Lord. 
And note, he says, as he may prosper, some might earn more than others. We don't all give the same amount. It's before the Lord in proportion to what he, what he gives to you. He enables you to give. And like the Macedonian, sometimes he enables you to go beyond what you, you have in faith. That's an unusual uh, anointing. It doesn't happen often to me, I'll be, I'll be honest. But, um, but the point is, is it's regular. It's giving. First week, first day of the week, not last. And I, what I want you to do this week, and I'm going to do with Marina, is I want you to sit with your paycheck. I want you to sit with your bank balance, your bank statement, and your credit card statement. And I want you to look. Put it in columns. Maybe some of you do this every month. I don't. Okay, so where's my money going to? Where is it that I can give? Or why can't I give? Or we look at that, make that central saying, what would I like to give to the Lord? Then I want you to look at it and go, all right, well, let's see what money we're spending on right now. Interrogate your debt. Say, do we need the next vehicle that's the new model and trade it in so soon? Or can we just keep the old car? Our credit card um, balances, we need to get that down. Our clothing accounts, do we need to get another pair of shoes, another, another coat uh, in, our, in, our, in our cupboard? Think about DSTV, do we have to have it on? Could we put it off for a couple of months? Takeaway coffees and eating out, all these things are great and there's nothing wrong with them and I, you will see me eating out. But I want to say this is, I want to make sure that when I analyze my life and the way God has given me his cash, I'm open-handed to him first. That's the heart. That's where you start. And then it goes on. And parents, I want to say, my, my, I grew up under tithing. My parents trained me from a little boy. I don't regret it one bit. Do you know what it's done for me? It's trained me with small amounts to go, this is the Lord's. And that amount has just grown through the years. And it's helped me get into the habit of giving regularly. Help your children do that. And if you're not sure where to start, at what percentage? Oh, you know, as elders, we wrestled over this thing the whole week. Do we say 10%? Don't we say 10%? What do we say? Let me give you some advice that's personal and has been helpful for me. If the law starts at 10%, and we are to exceed the law, if you're looking for a value to go, where can I start? Start at 10%. Seek to go beyond the law. If you, you don't, can't do that yet, then you start working towards it. But the point is this, I don't want you to hear that and say, ah, oh, 10% done. What I want you to do is to go beyond the law in the way you see your finances. Do you understand that? You with me? He said, everything belongs to God. It's a place to start and not to stay. And I don't want to make this law. I don't want to say that you must give 10%. No, my friends, we must go beyond that. And we will lose it if we say that. Is we are to be spirit-led in the way that we are generous towards God. We want to exceed the law. And my last couple of points is this. So it's not just disciplined, regular giving. Sit down this week. Do it together as a couple or on your own if, you, if you're independent in your income. And be prioritized in giving. We receive regular ministry from the Word, and that means we regularly support it. It's interesting that Paul uses the words, the laborer deserves his wages. Wages are something regular. If you're wanting to receive good teaching, Give the people time to do it, and that's why we employ them full-time. That wasn't a punt for a salary increase. I'm just saying what the Scripture says. All right. But then also, can I say, the reason why I'm fighting for there to be an openness to the Lord is be open to other initiatives. 
There is so many opportunities to be led by the Lord, and we must be. We must be open. We must be ready, and, and to, be, to be led by the Spirit in unusual ways. Third is it's thoughtful and prayerful. That's what I want you to do this week. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to take your paycheck to the Lord, like I'm going to do again from time to time, and just say, Lord, are you happy? Is there anything here you want me to see? And you know, most of the time, he's so kind. But I want to be open to what he says. Be prayerful about it. Consider it. Fourth is it's generous giving. I'm almost there. This is so helpful. If you had to look at what you give currently to the Lord, would you be able to say in your heart, I am being generous? Take a step back. Look in. Go, if I had to, based on where I'm at currently in my circumstances, and that changes all the time, is am I being generous? Can I say in my heart, I'm generous to you, Lord? It's joyful giving. Please, please, don't misunderstand me here. I believe God matches the faith to the request to give. And don't be more spiritual than what you really are. <laughs> Work your way up to a space where you're increasingly like Abraham, able to yield to the Lord. But don't be over-spiritual. Start with a joyful heart and work your way to increasing as God gives you grace to do. And lastly, and this is perhaps the biggest one of all, it is sacrificial giving. We give so that there's a dose of faith infused in it. We are to give with an element of risk. What I mean is there's a space when you're giving where you're going, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to say to you, you are where my provision comes from. It is a little bit of faith, a little bit of risk, a bit of leaning into God's promises where we orientate our lives in such a way where we realize we're living from the hand of God. And I just want to say, and this is a question I have to say to myself, are you having to say no to anything in your life in order to give? And I think we should be. That doesn't mean we can't eat out and have enjoy lovely things. But I'm saying, if, if that all comes first, and we don't simplify some aspect of our lives to say yes to giving, then I think we must just check ourselves. Friends, we are not to find our security in our money, but in the God who gives it to us. And we give generously sometimes. We give generously because we believe in His promise of provision even sometimes in seasons of leanness. We do it in our hearts out of faith and gratitude to Him. We do it because we trust Him. And so, are we under the law? No. Do we have to give 10%? No, but as Abraham's children, we should want to, and we should want to go beyond it. And that's the life of faith. As you increase in trusting God's promises of provision, so you are able to increase in your generosity towards him. That's the balance. And today, the invitation is a mighty one because one day Jesus will ask for an account of how he used his cash. And I, I want to just mention family friends of ours this morning that have had a deep impact on my life. 
I was sitting in their home a couple of months ago. They live on a farm. And I have watched this couple be generous to God, right from a little boy. I'm going to share. <laughs> Can I just share? So we went through financial difficulty as a family. And someone rocked up on our doorstep with an envelope of a large amount of cash, which basically helped my parents pay for their house and the home that we got to live in. I watched this family leave their home in the Eastern Cape to live in a caravan to plant a church in PE, which stands to this day a great blessing to the community. I've watched this family take in an orphan. I've watched this family raise her, educate her, and now support her child. I've watched this family love the church, minister to the saints, give to missions, be at the front of Angus Bakken coming in to preach, doing all sorts of things to see the gospel advance. And I want to say to you today, sitting in their presence and watching how God has blessed them, not in their wealth, but in the legacy that they are leaving for the kingdom, something stirs inside of me and says, I want that. I want at the end of my life to look like they do. I want at the end of my life to have a track record of being generous, to partner with God's kingdom purposes, with my finances, as along with everything else. Because I know that this life is, is, is fast closing, friends. It's fast shutting down. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 90 to 20, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And the thing that I feel with this couple as I sit in their midst is I get a little foretaste of what they're going to receive from Jesus. And friends, it is too good not to go after. It's too good. We only have a vision for our lives that is much bigger than the four corners of our house and the comfort of our cars. Our vision of cash stretches into eternity. And friends, you have an opportunity to live from the gracious hand of God and to give in response to his promises. And how do you want to do it? Because one day, one day, we're going to stand before Jesus. And I hopefully, like you, I want to get his well done. Let's pray. Father, we want to be children of Abraham. Pandemic or no pandemic, seasons of plenty, seasons of leanness, we want our lives to be under your leadership. And we want to grow in faith and enter into that same joy that you experienced, Jesus, in the most extravagant gift of all, which was the giving of your own body and blood. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross and despising shame. And I just sense this morning, Lord, the comfort of your spirit. 
Jesus, you were tempted in every way, and you know that in our lives it's hard to not find our security in money. But I want to pray today as we sang this morning, there will be increased faith in this room to trust you as a good father, that our lives rest in your hands. And you're not going to lead us in any way that's cruel or harsh, but rather it's a way that leads to life. And you said if any man seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But if any man seeks to lose his life for the gospel, he'll find it in this life and the next. And so, Lord, we want to say to you, wherever we're at, maybe this is just the start of you speaking about giving. Maybe it's been a tug for many years. Maybe there's a new sense of wonder at being blessed to be able to do this for you. I just pray in whatever the heart response is this morning, Lord, I pray there'll be a real sense that the leadership on our lives is coming from a good Father who promises that we will not lose out or lack when we are obedient to Him. What a wonderful blessing and assurance, Lord. We want to do this well for you, Father. We want to stand before you one day, accounting for not what's our, our own, but Lord, what we just get to manage for this time. We want your well done, Jesus. Help us make a start today, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to just close off the service with some time of worship. Appropriate song. Great is thy faithfulness.
is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, mercies I see. song lord as we sing um i just i realize that there's a lot of folk perhaps who feel that they can't um give but i just i'm reminded lord god that the battle belongs to you that lord our our lives our tithes our giving our very being lord god that all belongs to you and so father god we just glorify and exalt your name and yes we lay our our hearts down again and we just as we reflect as we sing this last song on what we've heard today, Lord God, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be opened up to even greater possibilities in the days to come. We glorify your name. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain move and as i walk through the shadow your love surrounds me there's nothing to fear now for i am safe with you
nothing can stand against the power of our God and Almighty Fortress. You go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. thankful, Lord, for your spirit in our lives, that you are a good shepherd, Jesus. And when we leave this place, your good leadership is going to guide us in responding to your words, in helping us find grace, Lord. And I want to commit us into that grace this morning, the grace that saved us, the grace that provides everything that we have to enjoy, the grace that has brought so much blessing into our lives. I pray, God, as we would go in that grace and would enjoy the leadership of your spirit upon our lives. Freely we have received, Lord. What a rich people we are. Freely we want to give. And so, God, we ask, warm our hearts, secure us, Lord. Bless us as we go. It's been wonderful to be in your presence this morning. And we want to stay in that place as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.